Ready to begin? Yeah. Hell yes. Okay. Well, welcome to Hooplecast. I'm Matt, and I've got Steve and Will here, and we're going to be talking about more Lovecraft Country, episodes four and five. Is that That's right? Great. That's right. Yep, yep. Okay. Episode four, A History of Violence. We're just jumping right into it. There's no preamble. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was the, um, the, uh, yeah... The museum episode. Yeah, the it was a pretty wholesome museum episode for a while, wouldn't you agree? For a while, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably the least gory, least horror hour that we've had so far, I would say. Definitely had elements of, you know, S- Steven Spielberg's Goonies and um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So kind of in that PG-13 range. Yeah, I would say so. Until they get, <laughs> yeah, until they get to the end, but yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, Steve, what'd you think of this one? Uh, so history of violence, um, you know, I, I've been kind of saying that they could lean more heavily into the horror, you know, with that, the last one, um, uh, what was it? Ghost house. Um, and this one, they could have leaned a little bit more into the adventure. I mean, they could have really gone full out. And I, I feel like it was just like pulled back a little bit. So it just, I don't know. It, it had a lot of great elements, but never really hit on those elements. So I, you know, I, I was, wasn't feeling this one too, too great. What could they have done more? Yes. So <laughs> I play a lot of role playing game, right? Mm-hmm. So this was your, your, your basic, uh, dungeon crawler with, uh, complete with booby traps and, uh, puzzles that the, the adventurers had to complete to get past a, a certain point. And it, it's like my role playing game on the, on screen. And it should, should have been everything that I, I ever wanted to see, but it just didn't, I don't know. I, I We'll we'll get a little further into it, but uh, you know, it just didn't didn't hit those parts where I really wanted to shine. Well, what about you? What are your thoughts? I, I remember enjoying the episode. I didn't. Um, it was you know, it's great when I'm surprised at stuff that happens because yeah, you because know, they're veering off from the source material. So there are some pretty cool surprises that I weren't expecting. I liked seeing. Letitia, she says she has this one line that, you know, it kind of comes up. It's a common trope in so many movies and TV shows where um, especially like a male is trying to protect a female or or his family trying to keep them out of danger. And she's like, stop pretending this is only happening to you. I was like, you know, clapping when she said that. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the whole dungeon crawling aspect of it. So, you know, it's nice. Will, I'm so glad you liked that line. That that was my my favorite line of the whole um, episode. Because yeah. at some point, you know, these guys are walking around. There's magical things happening all around them, but you know, they they aren't quite suspending their disbelief. Like, what's going on? How you know? I don't want to do this. What what's? At some point, you just go like, Hey, look, we're doing this. All right, uh, you know, stop pretending that this isn't happening to everyone else around you. You know, Montrose was kidnapped. I died. You know, Letty died. I mean, just let's let's move on. Let's go on yeah. this adventure and stop <laughs> trying to protect us. Letitia said in the Holy Ghost episode that she'd never been with anyone sexually, but then at the museum said to Tree that, oh, don't you remember when we fucked in high school or something like that? So. Mm. 
Someone explain that, because that seemed like an inconsistency. So or that was, was she lying to Atticus when she said that? No. That, so Tree's been going around spreading that rumor that he and her hooked up in high school. Oh, okay. To, so to boost his cred. Got it. So she's throwing it back into his face. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I have to say that my problem with both of these episodes is that I feel like scenes should be switched, swapped between episodes and they should be more focused. For example, I didn't need to interrupt all the museum stuff by going to see Ruby at the bar flirting with William. I felt like, and just like with the Ruby episode we'll talk about next, that, that had a lot of Atticus, Montrose, Letty stuff in it that probably could have been in the other episode. So I guess I would have liked more focus. From I think it kind of like what I was saying, where they try to keep everybody in every episode, so they're like going back and let's check up on Ruby, what she's doing, and instead of just having it completely focused on one character or one set of characters. But yeah, I agree with you, Matt. I liked the uh, the subterranean under the museum stuff. I I thought that was a lot of fun. It reminds me of. Um, I don't know, movies like Relic or The Relic, or I played a video game once that was set in a in a museum. It was creepy. All the exhibits coming to life, or they were haunted. It was called Shivers. Shout out to LucasArts Games and Sierra <laughs> Games. Oh, <laughs> there's a Lucas... Oh, sorry, this is side-changing, but there's a LucasArts game. It's basically my Shinmu or Viva Pinata. It's called Gladius, and... I don't think I don't know if I ever see a sequel because Lucas Arts doesn't exist anymore. I don't think, but look at it. It was from like the Xbox, PS2, GameCube era, and you know, a friend of mine just texted me saying that he was playing it again. A friend that I used to play it with all the time. Anyway, I used, I used to get their catalog, and I would I would purchase games. I'd ask my dad, "Can I buy this game?" And then I would secretly buy two or three, and then it'd be like, "I don't know how that happened." <laughs> I wonder if that underground stuff could have been shot a little differently to give it more, um, more tension, more, um, uh, you know, like, like I was saying, ramp up the horror or ramp up the adventure element. Like it, it felt either, it felt like a set, right. They were in a, in a sound stage or studio, uh, or it felt like, um, it was done on a green screen, like the whole walk, the plank thing. And, um, the swinging, um, whatever it was, blade. Uh, I didn't feel a whole lot of tension. There was a bunch of yelling from the actors. You know, they were yelling at each other back and forth. Um, so they were trying to, to sell the tension. But other than that, it just it looked a little, I don't know, cheesy. I was like, all right, can we just get past this part? I mean, we're, we're spending way too long on this one plank. Yeah, that probably... I mean, parts of it were too fast to the episode, but yeah, that's probably the part that they could have... I, I could have done with it. It was enough that the, the plank was narrow and long, and there was a giant chasm below them. I didn't need the swinging blade, and then I certainly didn't need the bl- the plank disappearing. And that's then right. at the end, there was a door they had to solve. So it was a lot happening. <laughs> <laughs> but I did like when Montrose... When, when they finally got in, when Montrose finally realized, he's like, did you see that jump? <laughs> That was, yeah. that was kind of funny. <laughs> like all the tension finally released for a little bit. It it all did seem like a little fast and a little easy. And I guess that kind of contributed to the lack of tension. If that is indeed what they were going for, or were they just going, did they want tension or did they just want it to be uh, fun and silly and kind of cheesy? It's only easy because you've been playing video games all your life. <laughs> I, think if, I think that's maybe why it seemed easy. 
You know, I've done that a thousand times, walk the plank and dodging, you know. I think the uh, set designers must have had a had a blast with that episode, especially the whole was I don't know if it was a ship exactly, but it was like um something out of Pirates of the Caribbean. It was with all the skeletons right. posed at that at that table and all the cobwebs and and just for such a short scene, then they destroyed it. It just it looked it looked like very intricate. It looked like the like the D- Disney Imagineers went to town on this set, and then that's it, and it was destroyed. Yeah, very quickly, right? They they could have spent a little bit more time trying, at least explaining who these people were. Like we didn't get much of that, other than them walking through the museum and maybe some some signage in the background or you know some PA system saying, "Oh, these were people that were colonized," you know, and whatever. I mean and- they. Could have flushed that out a little bit more. They could have. I, I didn't quite understand what was happening in that <laughs> particular moment, but it reminded me of Disney's Haunted Mansion, which is not scary at all, but <laughs> is well-dressed the way that a Disney person would think a haunted house would look like. This Like this whole episode is like, this is what somebody who doesn't know attention is like would think a an adventure serial would be like. I mean, I like I, I like the episode well enough, but I'll say that I don't. I'm not quite following anything that's happening with Atticus and his pages and the language of Adam and all of this. I don't. I don't know quite what's happening. <laughs> no, there's. It's. It seems like um like a Cold War situation where it's just kind of brewing at this point. Um. The um, so the the episode opens up and I think it's either ra- uh, playing over the radio. Um. Just a quote. Uh, if the United States failed to proliferate its stockpile of nuclear bombs, the barbaric Soviet Union will wipe out civilized America. We have entered a new global age. The only way for us to defeat the Reds is to destroy their stockpile. So that's playing over the radio, but it's it's kind of setting up where Atticus wants to get a hold of the magic so that he can build his own magical arsenal to defeat the Sons of Adams because uh, they, they have their magic arsenal. And it's just kind of like this Cold War building up. So that's that's whole all Atticus's um, motivation is just to get a hold of some magic so that he's not you know left to the the barbaric Soviet Union, right? Or in, in this. Um, but then you have Montrose burning the uh, the Order of the Ancient Dawn bylaws. So uh, and he he says smells like Tulsa. Yeah. Another Tulsa reference. And then he killed the hermaphrodite. Yeah. (laughs) Well, one thing this episode does is reveals the the different approaches that the three leads take when dealing with the threat. So Montrose, his whole thing is destroy everything magical. So he destroys the bylaws. He destroys uh, Yahima. Um, Now, Tick, we see, he goes to library because he's a very studious guy, but he, he goes it alone. Right, he he wants to do it alone, uh, and then Letty is the one who kind of gets everyone together. She's she's the glue, trying to get everyone. She's like a more community focused instead of solo adventurer. She's so it, it's interesting that you know, three people have three different approaches with dealing with the threat, and this what the this one episode kind of showcases. Are you an Atticus, a Letitia, or a Montrose? Take the Buzzfeed <laughs> quiz and find out. <laughs> There you go. Um, I did like uh, Tick going to the library. I did think that was very um, uh, what he would do in that situation, right? And um, 
we saw a little kid reading a journey to the center of the earth. That's the little kid that shushes them a couple times. Mm-hmm. So he, <laughs> he's reading Jules Verne's journey to the center of the earth. And then um, tick later mentions uh, the cave system under the museum being like the journey to the center of the earth. Yeah. So it, it comes back. And super convenient that they ended up home when they got to the end of that tunnel. <laughs> yeah, that was when they, when they walked past the, the elevator from the last episode, I'm like, wait a minute. Is that the, is that the same elevator? <laughs> That's how magic works. You just go through a door and you're back, uh, backwards. Super convenient. Yeah. All along. I'm going to say my favorite we- moment from the episode is when Hippolyta tells her daughter that I discovered a star, but when I submitted my the name for the star to the publication or, you know, the organization or whatever it was, um, they, they made a little white girl the face of it instead. I know that I named it and I found it and it's mine, but nobody else does. And then her daughter is like, my mom named that. And I thought that was super sweet. She's like, now never, never other people know too. That was my favorite episode. Very wholesome. Very nice. Now, do you remember that from the book? No. <laughs> it, well, in the book, it was Pluto, not a star. But yeah, but there was no like my mom named this movie. But they do tell that story to kind of set, uh, you know, give you some background on Hippolyta. Yeah, she has an interest in astronomy, but she's not allowed to participate. So. Yeah, Hippolyta mentions uh, NACA, and I had to look up what NACA was. Uh, it's the National Advisory Commission for Aeronautics, established in 1915, and it's the precursor to NASA. So in 1958, President Eisenhower signed a bill for NACA to be renamed NASA. Oh, nice. I didn't so, know that. I didn't know that. Either. Fun fact. Hippolyta, coming was, out with uh, the fun that fact. That was a fun fact. <laughs> One of the definition of a fun fact. <laughs> Something I have to go Google is essentially any fun fact for me. I'm learning all sorts of things about uh, American history through this show. Well, that's good. Um, so uh, she and her daughter are off to Artem, it sounds like, because she suspects something's up. So she turned the car around and she's headed to Artem. And that's the last we see of her. If your husband was shot by a sheriff in Artem and you suspect that that sheriff has now gone missing because your, you know, your nephew and uh, uh, brother-in-law has taken care of that sheriff. So you suspect, would you want to go back to that town? I'm I'm imagining the race relations in that town is not um, very high. It only being three weeks since this whole thing happened. I might go back, but I would not take my daughter with me. (laughs) I would not per- want to put her at risk. Yeah. It seems like a bad move. Yeah. I concur. So anything else about this episode? Uh, Will, you pointed out uh, Letty's dress. Did you have something for Letty's dress? Oh, yeah. The dress that she's wearing. Was it at the museum? This is basically a replica of the dress that from Eve's Bayou that the actress that played her mother wore. Um, I think it was like- Megan Good. Yeah, which I'm guessing was just, you know, just a little, I'm I'm guessing it was totally intentional, (laughs) just a shout out to, you know, a movie that she started when she was a kid. Yeah, she's eight years old in that movie. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't like seeing her all sexy like this. Like, she's a little girl. (laughs) (laughs) I watched that scene, um, (laughs) the, um, the, 
That's the tub scene, guys. The tub. <laughs> well, we talked about Yehima, uh, played by um, actor Monique Candelara. And Yehima is two spirit, which embodies both male and female energy. And she speaks uh, Arawak, and Arawak are a group of indigenous people of South America and of the Caribbean. And I do have uh, nipple count two, cock count one. Oh, we're doing that again. Cool. <laughs> Just for Yehima. Just for her? Him? Just for her. They? They. They. <laughs> wow. So I guess the whole her whole deal was that she and her people were enslaved by Titus Braithwaite, right? He was a he was an explorer. He was a Christopher Columbus kind of kind of dude who has, gets a lot of credit for discovering shit, but really he's a horrible monster. That's right. Who enslaves people? Um what they call it? They call that uh, shipping. He's into shipping. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Code word for slaver. Yeah. Well, I don't have a, really have anything else about this one. It's I thought it was fun. I like the sets. Uh, we did see Christina um, go enter a mansion, and a second later, William exits, and um, the two are never seen on screen at the same time. Mm. Of course, I I didn't think anything of it at the time. But uh, <laughs> just an interesting note. They set that up in this episode. Yeah, I didn't pay attention. <laughs> That's when William goes and beats up the two undercover cops out in the car. They're like staking right. their joint. Right. So Christina enters and then William exits. I didn't even notice that until um, some people were talking about it on Twitter. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, the only thing, the so the title "History of Violence" is actually from the movie, the 2005 movie with Vigo Mortensen and Mario uh, Maria Bello. Maria. Maria Bello. I think it's Maria. Um, specifically because they have sex on the staircase, which um, uh, William and uh, Ruby have sex on the staircase in this episode, oh, right at the end. Really? Okay. <laughs> I'm sure there's a whole thing about history of violence, you know, history catching up with you or your violent past catching up with you. Right. Uh, but no, sexing on the stairs. All right. Next episode. What's it called? <laughs> Strange case. Gotcha. Off the bat. Here's the question. Cause I wondered how they were going to approach filming this episode. It, were they going to take the actress who plays Ruby and just, Everyone sees her as a white woman, and like maybe she looks at herself in the mirror and sees that she's white. Do we like that they kind of took the episode away from that actress and gave it to this other woman? No judgment on her acting. I thought she was really good. But if you're if you're breaking this episode, is that how you're going to do it? Are you going to how would you film it? Well, I will say it's a great Ruby episode, despite the the main actress who plays Ruby Winomi Masako. Only being in six scenes, right? Yeah. So the the other uh, guest actor, Jamie Newman, who plays Hillary for this episode, she she took the the, the brunt of it. Yeah. Uh, in all the scenes, I think they did uh, a great job. Uh, so I, I can't I can't fault the episode. Um, I think Jamie Newman did a really good job portraying Ruby, uh, and you know as as Hillary. It gets really complex when you start like, all right, she's a white actress playing a black character in white skin. Um, but yeah, I, I think the episode did a great job doing it. 
Okay. I'm not. I I l- like the actress. I said, um, but I'm just not sure. I like that they took a Ruby episode and kind of gave it to another actress. I know that Wumi Masaku. I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly. Um, I know she had some really good scenes, and she'll be in the rest of the show. Fine, but it's like we've had Letitia had her episode, Ruby episode. I would be flipping through that script, going, "Wait, <laughs> I'm in it, but I'm not in it." That doesn't I- seem fair. <laughs> I think people will remember this as the Ruby episode, whether that actress is in it or not. I mean, I, I think that the character has grown, and that's that's the most important part. Yes. But I did. I, I counted all the scenes that she, she actually spoke in. It's only six scenes, and uh, <laughs> very small. Now, I did have a question. So Jamie Newman, we've seen before. She was in the second episode, Whitey's on the Moon. Yeah. And I don't know what that means. She was playing a different character. She was... Yeah. Um, well, she, she was playing the lady that had the dogs, right, in that town. Right. Yeah. That's right. So are the rules for transformation, you can only transform into someone that actually exists? And is there a, a chance that you'll run into your doppelganger at some point, if that's the case? <laughs> Did Christina slash William have to kill the woman in the town t- to get her skin? Could be. Could be. Because I was thinking, like, all right, is there a William? Is there an actual William somewhere running around? Or is he locked in the basement or something so that you don't accidentally run into him? But yeah, I guess you could kill him as well. Did William and Christina share any scenes in episode two? No. Okay. I'm going to say no. I thought maybe <laughs> William was killed sometime between episode two and episode five. No, I, so it's funny that I was like rooting for William to be like an ally for our heroes. And the fact is he never existed to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think William, that every time we've seen William, it's always been uh, Christina. And that's, that may be why Ruby had to declare you've been William this whole time (laughs) in a question slash statement. Which now, I, I thought was a little ridiculous that they had to say that. I I didn't see it coming. I no, did I didn't either. <laughs> I didn't either. But I didn't need. But once she, you know she came out of his skin, I didn't need Ruby to really underline what I had just seen. <laughs> now, did you guys expect it? Because you were saying that the Christina character in the book is gender swapped. It's a, a different person. Yes. Right. Yeah, I didn't expect it until, well, I guess after the end of last week, I started to, you know, think, but, and I was also wondering how they were going to do this, because I know Ruby gets involved with, um, in the book, Ruby gets involved with Caleb, and, you know, when when I found out that they gender swapped, I'm like, okay, there's going to be some girl-on-girl stuff here, but then, it's like, oh, well, it's William on the show, but now we found out that William's actually Christina, so, yeah. So is there no William character in the book? There is a William, but he's... um no, no, he doesn't, you know, get involved with Ruby. I think he, no, no, he doesn't get involved. I don't think we, I don't, I can't remember if we even see him after episode two or, I mean, after the mansion blows up or not, but we may see him a little bit. But. Also from the reading the book, I don't think I got a sense of real body horror from that particular chapter. Yeah, it wasn't that painful or gruesome or whatever. 
It was just like, I mean, I can't, I read the book two years ago, so I can't quite remember, but my impression was that she just kind of shape shifted or woke up white and then kind of would go back and forth. But the, the whole shedding of the skin or being need to be, to be like let out of a cocoon thing, like that's, that felt like totally unique to the show and not in the book at all. Unless I, my eyes like glossed over that. Like I just didn't absorb that that was happening. Yeah, I got the same impression. Yeah, it wasn't that difficult or well, that big a deal. I love that the show did that because that, that body horror is, was really, was really great. The transformation scene, like, um, from, Will, uh, was it William transforming into Christina? That, that had reminiscence of, um, American Werewolf in London. Where you know the you know he's tr- transforming into a, a werewolf and the the fingernails are extending and the the jaw lines are, you know exploding out. Yeah, it was very gory, and I liked that they built up to it. And you you didn't you didn't really get the sense that there was going to be gore until that scene where she is interviewing for the job and then she leaves and she goes into the elevator and you see her like slamming her hand on the wall and leaving a trail of blood and then. It's just a quick second when her face kind of twists and the skin flaps off. And you're like, oh, God, that's disgusting. But they don't lead with that. It builds to the most gross, the grossest moment. And they keep topping themselves throughout the episode by, I was going to say layering on. That seems like a pun, but it, I don't mean it yeah. to be. Um, I really like that. Yeah, they're, they're- I like how William Kelp dragging her and putting her back on top of the... Um- so the floor wouldn't get dirty, I guess. He got put it. Like, it's going to get messy. Like, you just stay right here. That one scene when she, I guess the first time we saw her change. Imagine there's bits of flesh, like, littered all over Chicago. Every time they, they've transformed. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, we found your DNA. Oh, I guess this was before DNA was still. So we found your DNA in, like, 30 different places. <laughs> like, I was so really inconvenient timing with this magic potion. <laughs> why why can't they if if you can make a potion that can turn yourself, you know, into a metamorphosize into a creature or body, can you not like get the timing so it's a little more a little less like sneaks up on you? Yeah. I think you got to keep taking shots of the the potion and um Ruby just didn't have Whenever she was out, she didn't have uh, an extra shot to, to have, or she left it behind. Well, she kind of had, she had one, um, I thought. When we, I, I'd be chugging that thing. I would hate for it to just happen at a, you know, really inconvenient moment. <laughs> so it was a great Ruby episode, and it was also a great Montrose episode. <laughs> uh, of course, Montrose only says one word in the whole episode, and it's right at the beginning, uh, and he says, gone. When, you know, they're asking about Yahima, mm. he says gone. And that's the only thing he says the whole episode. One word. And still a great performance from uh, Michael K. I was concerned that Montrose would fit into that kind of cliche, that trope of um, a closeted man lashing out violently against some other queer person who shows affection. I, I uh, What's the character's name? The one that's that he's involved with? Sammy? Yeah, that's it. Um, I was afraid that when Sammy was being affectionate and kind and caring uh, and attentive that Montrose was going to hit him or something. And just like, because he sees something in in Sammy that he doesn't want to see in himself, therefore it makes him violent. And thank God they didn't do that because I I was afraid that 
That's such a cliche thing, and I was hoping not to see it. I didn't want to see it because it's out of bummed me out. They didn't do it, thank God. Yeah, that was that was good that they left that out. One thing they also left out was uh, Montrose scrubbing the floorboards of Yahima's blood, the same way that Jewel scrubbed the the, the floor of the Gem Saloon. You know, I I think we missed that scene where they're just scrubbing, scrubbing, scrubbing the, the floor. Uh, I, I just assumed the ghost took care of that. Oh, okay. mm. uh, and poor Letty, like she, she doesn't get it at first. She's like, "Oh, you, you let her go." You know, she's wandering the streets, can't speak or can't speak English or write English. And you know, Tick knows right away what happened, but Letty, Letty doesn't quite understand. I'm not sure yeah. I would have understood either. It's I know that Montrose doesn't want his son mixed up with this stuff, but to murder a person, kind of extreme, but. It's interesting that Tick got it right away. Like he knew his father was capable of murdering someone, burning the books and burning the pages. And like he he's seen that violence before. He yeah. knows what he's, he's capable of. Well, I hope that Montrose is on a better path at this point. It looks like it. Like he he had a full arc in this one episode, despite having no words. I hope so, but I'm I'm concerned that next episode he denies that it happened. I, I wasn't there, or I was hmm. mistaken. I, I don't want him to push Sammy away. So, fun fact. Hmm. I looked up a drag ball culture. Okay. For the ballroom scene. <clears throat> uh, began in Harlem as masquerade balls known as drags, in direct defiance of laws banning citizens from wearing clothes of the opposite gender. And in his essay, Spectacles of Color, Langston Hughes described his experience at a drag ball in the 1920s. He writes, strangest and gaudiest of all Harlem spectacles in the 20s, and still the strangest and gaudiest, is the annual Hamilton Club Lodge Ball at Rockland Palace Casino. It is a ball ball where men dress as women and women dress as men. During the height of the Negro era and the tourist invasion of Harlem, it was fashionable for the intelligentsia and social leaders of both Harlem and the downtown area to occupy boxes at this ball and look down from above at the queerly assorted throng of the dancing floor, males in flowing gowns and feathered headdresses, and females in tuxedos and uh, box-back suits. And by the 1930s, the drag ball culture was starting to emerge in black communities in major cities such as Baltimore, Chicago, and New York. So it, it is appropriate for this time period. Yeah. All right. Still going on now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm closest to Baltimore right now. And yeah, I, I, I can attest there's a, there's a strong uh, queer community. So definitely a theme of metamorphosis. Through this episode, not just Montrose coming into his own skin, but uh, Ruby shedding hers. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. There was a um, <laughs> there was some chatter about the whole um, sex scene with Montrose and Sammy, or where he's not really wanting to be, you know, like affection that he just wants to, you know, screw and you know. A lot of spit on it. It was just kind of gross. But, um, I was like, uh, that's a lot of spit. Anyway. Why did William slash Christina choose Ruby? The question was asked. Ruby said, why me and not some other? William didn't answer. He gave a vague answer, I thought. Because she's close to Letty. Um... I mean, that's, the, that's the feeling. Yeah, but is there 
something. Yeah, I think she may really like um, Ruby somewhat. Uh, I'm convinced that uh, she she has her own agenda. Uh, Christina slash William. Because um, we know that she wants to get into the ghost house for the Ori, right? Because right. the Ori is the, the key to unlocking the time machine. But she can't get in it. So she's going to get Ruby on her side and task task it out to Ruby to go get the, the Ori. It's strange how limiting magic is and for plot reasons. Like, I was thinking of how Christina slash William got Ruby to go to that um, party as a server and then sneak into the, the room where the police captain was and then to, to plant evidence or something. And it's like, you have a potion that you can change into anybody. You can't do this yourself. You don't have an invisibility potion. You can't freeze time. Like, what are the rules here? <laughs> According to Christina... Uh, magic, you can do whatever the fuck you want. That's the currency of magic, unmitigated freedom. So that's her words. But uh, yeah, I, it is um, at, at the convenience of plot. Uh, for this situation, I think she she was setting Ruby up to kind of get that understanding herself. So this this whole, she's, she's really like um, leading Ruby along to get her to understand uh, the power of magic. And that oh, it was manipulation. It's all manipulation. Like Christina could do it in a you know a snap of the fingers, but um, she wanted Ruby to do it. The guy in the closet was dead. Are we yeah. to believe he was brought back to life? Yeah, reanimated style. And what was going on with the police captain's chest? What what was all that? Sewn skin or something? I thought it was a black man's skin. Okay. So, so either he is part African American or did some kind of you know. He put oh he cast magic on the wrong folks and it uh, back you know backlashed at him and I don't know I'm I'm making it up but, strange uh, I don't I don't know I've got questions I don't oh, remember seeing that um, yeah. he he took off his shirt while Ruby was hiding in the closet with the uh, the corpse with the animated corpse so she saw between the slats that his his chest his torso was a different skin color than the rest of them. And I couldn't no. tell if it was skin or a burn or hair or another shirt or I, I just and I'm watching it on a pretty big television too, but I just couldn't tell what what it what it was. It could be burn, could be burn marks. It could be he, he would, was burned. Maybe he was in that fire and did it uh, cover his whole chest, or was it just like? Okay, have to watch it again. I know. Nope. Christina is telling Ruby that uh, William is the rightful heir of the lodge and that he was shot in the back and thrown into the river and left to die by the the police captain. Um, But it's not William. It's really Christina who's heir to the the lodge. And she was shot in the back and thrown into the river and left to die by the police captain because William doesn't exist. Right. So Christina is really the one who's heir to the the lodge. Hmm. I have no fucking clue. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe the real William did. Um, I, I had assumed. I mean, I was thinking that yeah, the real William was killed at some point. Maybe they were lovers. Maybe they were siblings. Oh, uh, sibling. Oh, whoa. Maybe they were that's both. Game, we yeah, can't Game of Thrones. Why not game. both? Insert <laughs> yeah, the meme of the little girl going siblings, lovers. Why not both? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't considered that, but yeah, I. 
What about Ruby as um department store employee lady? Uh, was she too hard on that um other lady who had take who got the job that she wanted or <laughs> she was. Yeah. yeah well, you know, Ruby has <laughs> remember in the Holy Ghost episode when she said, Well, if a lot of other if other black people were as um as, as much of a go getter as I I am, the race would be a lot further along. So she's she's doing that thing where you 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 look down. Like she's looking down on her own people. She's looking you know, people do that. They punch down. I feel like she yeah. was doing that to Tamara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now Ruby had applied for the job and just never got it, right? I Is thought that, uh, she had. I, I've seen some um, comments saying that Tamara got the job because she applied, and Ruby just assumed she never would get it, therefore she didn't apply. Yeah, I don't think Ruby applied. I think she was wanted or meant to or was going to, but she just missed the opportunity. So she talked herself out of it, and then she missed out on the opportunity, but then proceeds to say... If other people would take opportunities, we'd be further along instead of exactly. acting like we're victims. So she's kind of a hypocrite. Yeah, that that's some of that self self hate going on where she's, you know, talking down to other people, but she's not taking those same chances that she's wanting other people to take. Right. Which I like because that's such a human thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then of course she felt bad for the poor girl when they were they all went on safari uh, to uh, the south side and oh what a time people were drinking and dancing <laughs> unbelievable so immoral I liked all that stuff with the department store um, now the Lovecraft County Radio said that they looked at um, they looked at a 1960s uh, video. It's only a 30 minute, but it's a, a dramatization about the hiring of the first African American in the workplace. It's called a, a new girl in the office. And they use that as a reference for a lot of the uh, department store stuff and uh, just the, how white people would talk behind, you know, talk about the situation, not actually go and address the situation, but just, you know, chatter to each other about, Oh, look at the new girl. And what's this mean to the rest of us? And, not, but not actually like interact with the new girl. Like <laughs> that's the funny part. Like they 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 talked about talked about it amongst themselves, and not actually like had an open forum. Like let's get everyone in the same room and just hash it out in the open. It was all like behind the scenes kind of stuff, and we we kind of saw that in this episode. Yeah, they don't have to take a harassment at the workplace webinar every two years to get certified <laughs> stay employed it's there's no hr requirements what's the name of that that you were saying and it was a film or a the new girl in the office you can find it on youtube okay 30 minutes it's a dramatization so it's not oh. i don't know it's did you watch I, it i did watch it it, it was filmed su- in 1960 so i mean it's kind of hokey yeah it's, it is it is a little hokey nice <laughs> i was hoping you'd say it was yeah <laughs> I did enjoy getting to hear two Cardi B songs in this episode. <laughs> Speaking of um, music from the future, um, now in Ruby scenes, I believe the one at the end where she's beating the um, her boss, mm-hmm. Paul. That was one of them. I can't remember the other one. Poor, poor Paul. Did uh, so. I was trying to figure out if poor Paul deserved his fate. Right. And, um, and, and 
according to Lovecraft Country Radio, the the writers in the room also discussed this, and uh, they were trying to decide how how rapey should they make Paul to kind of justify what Ruby does to him. But um, you know, they they kind of came to the conclusion that you know this the scene isn't about Paul at all. You know, Paul is just the target of uh, decades of built up rage. Mm-hmm. So. This is all about Ruby and that lifetime of being interrupted. Yeah. And, you know, poor Paul happened to be in the, in the room at the time. I mean, poor Paul. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I thought um, she was going to um, blindfold him and march him out into the department store naked, which I think would have been humiliating and not rapey. Mm. I was reading some comments saying, you know, uh, although we, I understand, this is not me speaking, this is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what someone said, although I understand Ruby's anger, rape in any context is not something that I want to see, you know, like endorsed or whatever this was, that it was just unsettling and not in a fun way, just in a really gross way. Yeah, I can see that. And while I'm watching it, I'm thinking of the actor and how the actor, like, you can't tell your parents you were on an HBO show. <laughs> If this is your scene, <laughs> you gotta, you know, you're going to be known as that guy. Oh, what have you been in recently? Oh, Lovecraft Country. Who are you in Lovecraft Country? Oh my God. <laughs> so I, um, I have a coda. Like I'm, I'm wondering if there, there needs to be a coda or like an epilogue to this episode, maybe in the next episode, but hear me out. The, I'm, I'm painting this picture of what this could be, but it, um, you have, Paul back at the department store. You know, so this was a couple weeks later, uh, sitting gingerly on one of those inflatable donuts. Right uh, when Ruby enters the room and quietly demands the assistant manager position that uh, that Hillary had previously, um, and um, just the the horror on Paul's face. He um, he hires Ruby on the spot. No, you know, no discussion, no argument. Um, but my question is, would Ruby want that job anymore? Like this was her dream job that she wanted, but now that she's had a taste of the magic and kind of peeled back the curtain a little bit of what this job is, would does she even want it anymore? I would think not. Not because she doesn't want the department store job or not because she's tasted magic and she can now do anything she wants. My feeling is she doesn't want the department store. Mm. You think she misses her friends at the perfume counter? (laughs) I think, I think Ruby is now sided with Christina. Uh, I I think we may get uh, like a a Letty versus Ruby showdown. I can see that happening, but I'm not sure she, she would side with Christina. I liked when she called her and referred to her, her whole deal at delusional white women. Something I, I read a lot is uh, white feminism and how it's me, me, me. Just like um, watching Mrs. America, the FX miniseries. Right. How it's, they talk about equality for women, but predominantly white women. Like that's, that's the whole angle. And that's probably how Ruby feels. Mm. But she did get a, a, a sense of, even if you're white, as a woman, you are, you know, no, you're on the r- lower rung, right? Those police officers thought nothing of picking her up off the street, putting her in the back of their vehicle and driving her back to her, to the husband. And right. just was like, well, you belong with your husband now. There you go, little girl. 
Yeah. And all the husband had to say was, oh, she has fits. Mm-hmm. And uh, the police were like, oh, we understand. <laughs> yes. She was probably standing too much. Just <laughs> sit down a little bit more. So I did like this episode. It's, I thought it was the best episode since the pilot episode, um, just because it, it had great character uh, development with Ruby and Montrose. And I, we didn't even talk about Tick and Le- Letty. I mean, they, they did have a, a couple moments. Um, there was a good sex scene with them. Everyone was getting a little action to, uh, yeah. in this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a good episode. Did you hear that, um, what's his name, is going to be in the next Ant-Man movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Kang the Conqueror, who's, yeah. um, who's a blue blue alien type guy, right? So blue-faced alien. I don't know if that translates well with, uh, was it Major? What's his, uh, I forget his name. I can't remember his name, you know. Well, the episode ends on a cliffhanger, sort of. Atticus is looking at documents and decodes something, and it calls Korea. I still have no idea what's going on with that, and I hope they explain it next week. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the trailer, but I'm hoping that they'll spend next week explaining that. Yeah, it looks like they will. It looks like flashbacks to Atticus and Korea. That's right. So, which is, this is all, that's all stuff that's not in the book. Oh, oh. It'll be new for me. Well, that, that's a question I have for you guys. So we're halfway through the season. Um, does the, so far, does that equal halfway through the book? Uh, I guess roughly. I think we should have already had a Hippolyta episode by now. They're, I think they moved that around a little bit. Um, but I guess, I don't think. Do they seem to be tracking the book um the the material that's in the book are they they tracking that I pretty think well? so, i think so but it everything feels dialed up quite a bit in terms of just everything but especially the gore well i'm okay with that <laughs> yeah i mean i'm fine with it it just it i think that tonally the book seemed a little less horror a little more nuanced i guess maybe a little less pulpy which is i know ironic because it's that's its whole deal but it's definitely hitting on all of the the themes of the book. Okay. Like Ruby getting to know what it's like to be a white person for a day, or a couple days, you know, getting that experience, living a, a dual purpose life and, and all of that. And Letitia moving to the neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, th- those are all the themes of the and it is playing out on the show. So I guess that's the most important. It's just that underlying, um, like, uh, Atticus... Um mystery of you know who are the sons of adam and something about a time machine now and what's in the basement oh, that was another question that was brought up in yeah. this episode yeah i figured adding stuff. are they adding it yeah 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 there is a ongoing thread but it's like barely mentioned in this for the majority of the book i would say you like in the beginning and then they come back to it at the end and but in between that, it's barely kind of, well, I wouldn't say barely, but it's not focused on as much. So I'm going to say there's a DeLorean in the basement. That's the time machine. And that the orrery is the flux capacitor. So they need the, the flux capacitor to get into the, uh, the DeLorean before they can actually. Did they mention, they mentioned uh, portals as well in this episode that they, that there was some experimentation with portals. 
not uh, not scientific, but magical, right? So I'm thinking that the time machine is maybe just a magical portal in the basement. That's my guess. Okay. All right. I give you one book spoiler like I have been giving them all along. If you one, have to, go ahead. One, I don't have to, but... <laughs> I want to. One thing that kind of yeah, I've been biting my tongue since episode two is that Uncle George doesn't die in the books, and I was kind of disappointed that they killed off him. Because then I even looked on IMDb and it said that Courtney Vance was in eight episodes, but you know he hasn't been in episodes since episode two, so that was obviously yeah, a lie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I was so shocked because he was in the history episode. The museum stuff that was him and montrose and atticus and wasn't there a fourth guy there was another guy who i can't remember but yeah he was i mean he's not in a lot of the book but yeah it was it, there were some other guys with them some other friends was it, was it tree because he he came to boston with them i don't I think, think it was tree. i think it was an older guy i think it was somebody georgian um montrose's age yeah, like, they were part of some kind of group or club or maybe a lodge or something. Yeah, and some yeah. of those guys came along with them for the museum adventure. And it was in Chicago. It wasn't in Boston. It was like a little uh, bro outing. Yeah. So. I kind of like that there's uh, like a generational um, club. Yeah. That these old guys have knowledge and they're just not sharing it. I, I kind of like that. I think they should have leaned into that a little bit, but yeah, they they killing off, um, you know, Uncle George. Uh, I guess I would kill that club idea. Uh, yeah, I I would have kept George alive, and and maybe if there is time travel, maybe we can bring uh, him back to life somehow, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's where that's going, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's magic, right? You can apparently do anything within plot reason. That's right. Yeah. Right. So last last five minutes of the season, Uncle George will like step out of a portal and say, "What I miss?" Yes. Okay. <laughs> I would be fine with that. Write it down. Write it down. Remember um, after the first episode when I was like, "Finally, Courtney B. Vance gets to be in something." <laughs> <laughs> nope. Well, I'll I'll ask you at the end of the season. Is there any material left over from the book that could be worked into a second season? So okay. we'll just keep keep tabs on what's not being addressed and maybe that could be expanded upon. But um if if we're about halfway through the book and we're halfway through the season, then I don't know. We might run out of uh source material and then we'll get Game of Thrones season eight. Or <laughs> or we get leftover season two. <laughs> It could go either way. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Well, you you still excited for the rest of the season? Yeah. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, my my enthusiasm's dampened a little bit. Yeah. There was there was a couple uh, episodes where it was just kind of going down. Yeah. I think that first episode they they knocked out of the park with that first episode. And then that's hard to beat, right? That's hard to to top such a high bar. Well, I think tonally it just worked better than the other episodes. Yeah. I think think every episode's trying to be too much of a lot of things all at once. And it kind of reminds me of True Blood, in which (laughs) it's just a little too over the top. So I don't know. But I did enjoy True Blood for the first, like, five seasons, five or six seasons at least. It did kind of go off the rails after that, I think. 
But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it is, I mean, not every episode. I mean, I really liked episodes, I guess one, three, and five have been my favorite. So if we stay on that trend, I'll like seven and nine a lot. And, <laughs> and six, eight, I, and ten will be I'll okay. Be I mean, I, I'll tell you, my favorite chapter in the book was Hippolyta's chapter. We haven't had that yet, and I think my judgment of the series as a whole is going to hinge on whether or not they execute that episode. I think that'll be, what, seven, probably? Yeah, yeah probably and seven. I've talked to a few other people who've read the book, and it's, all, it's also their favorite chapter. So there's something really special about that, and I'm not sure they're going to nail it, because I remember the kind of tone of that is a little stark. And this is anything but that. This is a lot of energy, and we'll see. I can't. That would be it. a good time for them um, to just focus on one story and not jump back and forth. But I don't yeah. think they will. Yeah, I'm nervous that they w- won't. But we'll see. I mean, I can't say anything more. But after we see it, we'll we can talk about. It. We can compare it. <laughs> I, I do want to see a unified family. So Tick, Letty, Montrose, all getting on the same page at some point. Because all this kind of behind-the-scenes backfighting and stuff like that and, you know, following their own agendas. I, I want them to come to a, like, all right, we, we need to follow one course. And uh, that's, Yeah, well, maybe that's, that's season I, two. Maybe this is all about them finding out stuff, and then season two is them versus the Sons of Adam. Do you think there'll be a season two? You don't? I'm just asking because HBO's been doing a lot of these one-season stories lately, and I'm kind of like that, not feeling the need to keep keep it going. Well, I remember um, for Westworld, they announced that there was going to be like two more seasons or three more seasons while the first season was still going. So the fact that they haven't announced another season kind of makes me think that HBO doesn't have any plans. Why wouldn't they announce it as a miniseries then? I don't I don't get yeah. the the hold the cards to the vest kind of strategy. Yeah. yeah. So maybe they'll come down to the showrunners what the showrunners want to do. Kind of like um David Lindelof and um um Watchmen. He didn't want to come back for a second season, so kind of just ended. But if someone else wanted to come in and pick it up, then uh, they they're leaving their options open. Well, they really need to, you know, talk to me first. Check with me. What do I want? <laughs> or Matt Ruff. See, see if Matt Ruff's writing a sequel. And uh, that, that'll, that'll it seemed like there ought to have been. It's the book kind of ends with a lot of stuff unresolved and uh, avenues for more material. So there you go. All right. All right. Well, this was fun. As always, find us at hooplecast.com. Go on Facebook and join. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Pleasure, always. All right. Bye. Bye.